the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. As states begin to reopen, social distancing lessens, and many wonder if there's anything we can do to improve our odds of remaining healthy. Dr. Paul Zaitch joins us today to talk about actions we can take that may make a difference. Dr. Zaitz is a leading public health expert and former Obama and Trump administration official. He currently serves as the founder of Build a Movement 2020 and is co-chair of the COVID-19 Emergency Response Group. He's author of Waging Justice, A Doctor's Journey to Speak the Truth and Be Bold, and Waging Optimism, Ushering in a New Era of Justice. Welcome, Dr. Zaitz. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Great to be with you today. So, Doctor, you've been a public health official for many years. Is what we're seeing today something that you believed could happen? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, I've been studying and working on emerging infectious diseases for the last 25 years. And we know that uh, this can happen periodically. Um, There was a massive flu epidemic that happened about 100 years ago that swept the planet. And I think... uh, We've been preparing for something like that to happen again. So we hear a lot about people saying this is our new normal. How likely is it that a new virus will pop up sometime soon? Could this be one super virus after another? Well, I think in terms of this uh, particular COVID-19 virus, uh, this is going to be with us for the next several years. This is not going to be a quick fix. So the things that we've learned to do now around social distancing and hand washing and wearing a mask in public to protect ourselves and prevent us from uh, spreading the virus to other people that were around, we're going to have to uh, be practicing those things for several years. And yes, I think there are there is a risk for other new viruses to uh, you know come forward uh, with the global population at over 7 billion people. Uh, as we encroach upon uh, habitats of wild species and animal species, bat species, uh, there's more human-to-animal interaction than there had been. And so that is where uh, viruses uh, and infectious disease agents like leap over from the natural world into the human population. So, yes, that can continue happening for sure. It seems like every day we're learning something new. At at first, we believed the symptoms to be one thing, and then the CDC released additional symptoms, and now we're learning about how it impacts children. How long does it usually take for our medical community to get a handle on something like this? Well, I would say that uh, the information and communication and technology era that we're living in right now has rapidly accelerated the amount of information that's being collected and the velocity of our learning is uh, happening at an unprecedented rate. I know to the public, it seems like there's a lot of changing facts and uh, it's hard to track. Honestly, I get that. And I would say it's because we're learning more. It could take months and even years to really fully understand the how the virus originated, how it's all the modes of transmission 
that are occurring between human to human, and then the how it evolves in people, the pathogenesis, like the clinical syndrome, uh, why some people are asymptomatic, why some people have a mild illness, and then a small percentage of people go on to have severe and even fatal illness. It's, it remains a mystery. We are seeing some risk factors that have been identified, though, about why some people get the more severe illness. I think some of the things that I've read that are fascinating, uh, people who are presenting with low oxygen levels, 60-70%, who are alert and, and talking. So it, it seems like I, I'm hearing more and more doctors say, the things that we thought we knew when it comes to this virus, it, it's not presenting that way. Yeah, it's a tricky virus, um, and it's presenting in a, a wide range of ways. So people have can be walking in and feeling okay without shortness of breath, and yet their lungs are showing a diffuse pneumonia and their blood oxygen levels are quite low. It's also affecting what we're learning now is that the, the virus has uh, the spikes on it uh, are able to relate to uh, receptors on cells in the lungs, of course, but also the kidneys, the gut, and other organs in the body, the blood vessels. So it's different than like, for example, the HIV virus, where the receptors were targeted for the immune system cells. This virus seems to have a much broader uh, range of uh, cell types and organ types that it can attach to. So yeah, we're, we're, we have the largest number of cases here in the United States. So when you have that volume of cases, you're able to collect more data and be able to start learning more about the different ways that the virus presents itself. Everyone agrees that we have to get back to work and, and we have to resume some sort of normal, whatever that will look like. You mentioned a few things that have to happen. How do you truly envision this happening? I see people that are jumping back in and they're not social distancing and, and then we're just going to have a spike come back. So how can we really make this happen? Well, the virus came in and then it went into community-wide transmission in many places. And that is when you saw the large number of people getting infected and a large surge of cases of very sick people that overwhelmed the hospital systems in some places. That is sort of what you want to prevent. And so now that we've done this rigorous social distancing, hand washing, wearing of facial masks, the virus is now more contained in most places so the idea is that by implementing a rigorous containment program, keep it contained, keep it boxed in, if you will, uh, by testing, frequently getting testing, and then doing contact tracing. So anyone that's tested positive, all of their contacts are, tra are, are followed up with, they're tested. If any of those uh, people are positive, positive people have to be isolated or quarantined and they have to be separated from high-risk people in particular uh, until they uh, get better from the virus. So it's, a, it's testing, contact tracing, and isolation, and then we're gonna have to keep monitoring, and we're gonna have to keep watching what happens. For example, a couple weeks ago, Germany opened up its society, and then in a couple counties, there was a, a spike and an outbreak, and they closed those counties back down. It's going to be like a dance. We're in a dance with this virus, and we're going to have to see how it operates and how, how rigorous we are with our ability to implement these public health measures. And if, if, we're, if we're not following these public health guidelines, then I do expect a larger second spike, and that'll be leading to a lengthening of this economic uh, struggle that we're, gonna, we're in now. We hear a lot about antigens and antibody testing, and we're working toward this vaccine. But what are our options if we learn that the disease doesn't bring immunity and that a vaccine may not work? Well, I think in terms of right now, I think these public health measures are key. I um, also uh, want to make sure your listeners know that there are things that you can do for immune boosting right now. There is uh, vitamins, for example, like vitamin D. Many There are some studies that have just come out showing that people with uh, severe COVID illness have higher rates of vitamin D insufficiency. And that is something that is easily fixable. You can take a vitamin D supplement. 
Uh, they're available at the pharmacy or the grocery store. It's cheap and it's effective. And if you check with your doctor to make sure it's safe for you to take, uh, I would highly recommend that. There are other vitamins like vitamin C and zinc uh, that are also probably helpful for immune boosting in general. But vitamin D has uh, shown a particular benefit here uh, with COVID-19. Um, in terms of the uh, antibody testing, there is a good antibody test now that are being uh, that are made available now. Uh, it's very likely that if you've had an illness from COVID-19, you will have some protective antibodies, as it is with other COVID viruses, coronaviruses, and other viral illnesses. Uh, we don't know whether it'll be protective for months or years or how protective it will be. So you're right, that is an open question. Vaccines are going to take some time to develop. I think a year or two years is a optimistic kind of timeline. Um, and we have to see how effective the vaccines are going to be and uh, ensure that they're safe before they're given widely to the public. So that's why I'm saying that we have to get used to this social distancing and facial masks for a couple years uh, to protect and reduce the spread of the, co the coronavirus. Dr. Ayad, been reading some of the research about vitamin D, and, and it made me wonder, do children naturally have higher levels of vitamin D in their body? Well, I think that vitamin D is uh, produced through the skin that uh, gets uh, hit by ultraviolet light, and then the body generates vitamin D from uh, some precursor uh, molecules. Uh, so to the extent that children uh, are outside playing and get more exposure to sunlight and the fact that they're usually healthier, um, what happens in our modern uh, busy lives is that we're at the office all day and we're uh, wearing clothes when we're outside. And so the benefits of the sun don't uh, create enough vitamin D. So many adults are vitamin uh, D insufficient, as I am myself. And so uh, and people with obesity and high blood pressure and heart disease and diabetes are frequently also uh have vitamin D insufficiency. So it's an important opportunity for uh, for this COVID pandemic, but for an ongoing basis to, you know, deal with this kind of fundamental vitamin that we need to maintain our immune system. So getting our immune system in, in top working order through exercise and stress reduction and proper nutrition, it'll help combat those lifestyle diseases, which will then in turn hopefully help combat COVID. You said it perfectly. Yes, exactly. Part of an overall healthy immune system is our attitude. And isolation, anxiety, depression, it can all take a toll on our health and well-being. So what advice do you offer to help us stay mentally strong? Well, I think uh, mental health is becoming a serious challenge right now with uh, the COVID pandemic. I mean, we're all trapped and we're, you know, disconnected from our, you know, our social networks and, you know, we're social animals. And so I think that uh, there's certain practices that you can take every day to, like, improve your health and well-being. So what I would recommend are things that are simple, like the getting up and getting dressed every day and taking a shower and getting yourself ready to, you know, be in the world. I think that's been an important practice for me. Uh, creating uh, social interactions uh, through Zoom and Facebook and uh, through social distancing, even uh, going out into the into nature. Um, I think also allowing yourself to feel the pain and, and the suffering. You know, I think like I recommend that people take 15 minutes in the, in the day and do a journaling or do a way of expressing all the anxiety that we're feeling and the sense of despair about the loss of our way of life. And then, you know, let that exist. But it doesn't have to be who we are for the rest of the day. Um, those are some small kind of tips that um, I have found really helpful and that mental health experts are recommending. Doctor, there's so much information out there. Some of it is valid and, and other is based on some of these conspiracy theories. If someone's trying to learn and, and wants to discern the facts, how do you recommend we do this? How can we get unbiased, non-political, life-saving information? 
Well, I think that's a great question. So what I've been doing in response to that challenge, because it's been a fire hose of information, it's constantly changing, there's new learning, and then there's also this kind of fire hose of fake and false information. So I've been uh, taking it on myself to process that information and uh, collect information. And then I, I'm doing a, a weekly Facebook live chat. I was doing it every day, but I'm now doing it to once a week on Mondays at 3 p.m. Uh, and there is, I can't find like one place to go that has like a synthesis of all the information. So I, I've had to do it myself. I do go to trusted sources. Like I do believe in the data and information that you find on the CDC website, the coronavirus.gov website, the World Health Organization website is something that I go to. And then there's a variety of other sources out there. It, you're raising a very tough challenge right now. There's a benefit of this rapid information flow, but there's also a challenge about navigating it. So I would find trusted people and, and, and be dialoguing and be asking questions and be curious about what the truth is. What I've been telling a lot of my friends is that I approach it with an open mind. I listen to everything and then mm-hmm. go to those sources and, and always consider the possibility, but don't be too quick to assume that something is true. I think that's a fair, fair, good approach. So, Doctor, from all of the years of experience that you have, what do you believe will happen next? Well, I'm looking at it in the kind of immediate term. Uh, you know, right now, what I'm working on here in Washington D.C. is that there's going to be additional massive legislation coming from the federal government for responding to the COVID crisis, and then. Uh, responding to the economic crisis. So I think it's really important that this, this, this crisis and the, it showed us how fragile our society is. Uh, it also is creating an opportunity to start to fix some of the underlying problems, the structural injustice, the racial and economic injustice, and to get on top of addressing the climate emergency while we're uh, fixing the economy. So I think this is like uh while we're dealing with this public health emergency and the economic crisis, we also have an opportunity to take a longer view. And so I'm working with a whole coalition of organizations and faith leaders and, and political leaders on a COVID-19 People's New Deal. We need to assert a people, the people's perspective about how we want to create America going forward. I, I actually uh, sort of reject the idea we want to go back to normal. Uh, normal wasn't so great because look how fragile everything was, how it collapsed in a minute. We need to build systems and a society that is more resilient and more proactive in uh, preparing for these kinds of threats that are upon us. You mentioned your Facebook live chat. Where else can our listeners go to get information about you and your work? Thanks. Uh, I have a personal website. It's Dr. Paul Zeitz. D-R-P-A-U-L-Z-E-I-T-Z dot org. And that has everything about me. And then I'm uh, working with uh, Build a Movement 2020. And that is a new, newly forming uh, political movement to deal with the existential threats of our time. And that website is uh, BAM, B-A-M 2020 dot world. And all the information about the COVID-19 emergency response group can also be found at be, uh, build a movement, bam2020.world. Doctor, what's a takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? With every challenge, there's possibility and hope and that we have to do whatever we can uh, to keep ourselves safe. And it's a form of service and uh, sacrifice to make sure that our community and our neighbors and, our, and strangers out there are also kept safe from COVID. So saving lives is critical and that we can work together and create uh, the way forward that is more just and fair for all. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. 
Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert, and speaker who empowers people that are stuck, overwhelmed, or ready for change to release the struggle, gain clarity, and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. Linda is here today to discuss the wisdom of anger. Welcome, Linda. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. So, Linda, many of us grew up learning that anger is bad and that it's not something we should express. And because of that, we end up ignoring it or stifling it. Why do you believe that that may not be a good practice? Is it wise for us to express our anger? Many of us grew up receiving the message that anger is a bad emotion. We tell children all the time that to be angry, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if this was part of our childhood programming, we may have created a subconscious habit of automatically sweeping angry emotions under the carpet and then find it difficult to express our true needs and wants. As we mature, we realize that isn't very productive and it doesn't serve us well. The problem is we're left grappling to figure out what to do with our anger and how to properly express it. I really want to stress that anger is a normal human emotion, and it's actually healthy and good to express anger. Anger is often demonized because we associate it with rage. So let's not blur those lines because constructively expressing anger is really different from rage, which is an out-of-control expression of anger with the intent to harm someone, create pain, or get revenge. There's a clear distinction. So let's look at that healthy part of anger. Allowing yourself to feel and express anger gets stuck emotions up and out versus allowing them to fester and ferment. This prevents toxic emotional buildup before it can spill over into relationships or other parts of your life. Anger pushes you to speak up for yourself instead of remaining quiet or stuffing your emotions and needs. Anger lets you know when a boundary has been violated. These are all pretty important, so I think it's really wise to be able to express anger. So then how do we do this? How can we use anger to our benefit? Well, being angry at a particular situation and allowing yourself to express it is often the key to finding a solution. Feeling anger makes us aware of personal and social injustices, and it's the emotion of anger that often mobilizes us to create necessary change. Let's say something touches you deeply, maybe seeing hurting families go hungry, for example, and you decide it's just too important to passively sit back and just complain. Anger is the catalyst to creating positive solutions. It motivates us to do something constructive, to right a wrong, or change a situation we view as unjust or harmful. Repressing anger is actually what's unhealthy. So we can own the emotion of anger without guilt if we use it as an energizing tool to create change. Channeling anger into positive action makes you proactively driven to change a disturbing situation or event. Expressing anger in this way drives you to elevate yourself and the community at large. Now, that's speaking globally, but let's look at it from a more personal level. 
Anger can accelerate our success when dealing with habit change, reaching goals, or dealing with difficult circumstances. Maybe you're angry at yourself for letting a situation get out of control, and now you're dealing with the consequences. Anger can be the inspirational catalyst to making the changes we desire and solving important problems we encounter. Sometimes it's the force that can create real and positive change in our lives. How does becoming mindful of this emotion help us grow and reach our highest potential? Oh, I love that question. Paying attention to exactly what angers us allows us to find that path because it provides valuable insight to self, our values, priorities, and our passions. The beauty of anger is that it allows stuck emotions to come up and out. Only then can we see what's really hiding behind our anger. Many times I ask my clients to reflect on the things that make them most angry. Sometimes we need to dig into that to clear the space for the changes they desire to make. Constructively expressing anger allows you to see where and why you're stuck. Sometimes we need to purge that anger from our past before we can clearly see our next right step. And here's anger's big bonus, Joan. In the process of allowing yourself to own and constructively express anger, you can come to recognize your true worth. You'll figure out how you want to be treated. You'll notice when an important boundary has been crossed. The wisdom of anger allows you to discover and step into your worthiness. Worthiness is actually a byproduct of the constructive expression of anger. You find the strength and grace to say no to what you don't want. And this opens the door to feeling worthy, feeling good enough, and becoming aligned with your purpose. Constructive anger is passion in action. It will allow you to take the steps on your personal path to fulfilling your highest purpose. I love that, Linda. Passion in action. If you would like Mm. to learn more about this topic or Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe that the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. While we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So what is the key to getting through a tragedy? First and foremost, we must recognize that we have a choice in the situation. When a tragedy occurs, often we believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating a circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. After my mother and sister died and my 23-year marriage ended, all within a period of six months, I knew I was at a fork in my life. I could go one way and let the loss and pain defeat me. I could be a victim, or I could go in a different direction and turn the pain into something positive, something with meaning. It was my choice. We all have that choice. Some people create a charity from the loss of a child. Others write books based on their experience while others make necessary life changes, such as getting sober. Tragedy has the power to transform us, and it provides hidden blessings if we take the time to look for them. I think what is allowable is what you need. Initial hurt, sadness, grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. Never suppress your feelings. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. It's important to get help if you cannot get going by yourself. Read books or seek counsel that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. Seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and that you have a choice. It is absolutely okay to feel scared and lonely. Don't ever let someone make you feel less than because you're grieving or in pain. Everyone heals in their own time. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. 
and there's no timetable. A true friend would want to know what's going on in your life. It's never too much to tell someone you love that you're in trouble and need help. You should never be ashamed. There are blessings in every situation, but sometimes you have to look harder to find them. When my father was dying from cancer, while it was a horrible experience, it was also a gift because when I took him for treatment every day, I really got to know him. We talked and we laughed and we spent precious time together. I had to look for that gift, but now I treasure it. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Mental health is a critical part of overall health. During these challenging times, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is highlighting resources that are available to help veterans maintain their resilience. Joining us today to discuss ways veterans can connect to care and build lives of hope and meaning is Dr. Matthew Miller, the director of the Suicide Prevention Program for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Welcome, Dr. Miller. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for having me. Important topic to talk about. I appreciate it. So, Doctor, with the current environment, many people are struggling to maintain emotional health. What issues are our veterans mm-hmm. dealing with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same issues, I think, in many ways as uh, all individuals are, are dealing with right now. This is a time of uncertainty, and uncertainty carries a lot of questions. Questions about today, questions about tomorrow, questions about months and, and years from now. Uh, the question uh, involves jobs, money, relationships, and they are presented in situations that are new to uh, all of us. So that makes anyone uh, anxious. But what better time than to talk about mental health and mental health awareness? An important first step with talking about mental health and mental health awareness is offering resources to find answers, to find help. And that's why we uh, have developed the uh, Now is the Time campaign. And uh, uh, information that's available on uh, the website. Doctor, with with all of the things that you just described that we're feeling, these feelings of fear, can a pandemic like this trigger PTSD in our vets? The pandemic, uh, times of uncertainty, uh, can certainly be challenging for anyone. Veterans uh, with or without PTSD have developed um, strong skills, resources, and points of resiliency in day-to-day life. They also may face some unique challenges in light of their background and experiences. But within those unique challenges, uh, the message that we're getting out is that uh, help and support is available for them, whether they want to pursue an app for self-care and wellness, or if they want to schedule an appointment for uh, mental health. We've completed almost a million uh, telephone and video connect mental health appointments in the month of April alone for our veterans. So we're open, we're here, we're ready to serve. Can you tell us a little bit about the suicide rate for vets? Is this a growing problem? It's suicide in uh, America has been a problem since uh, 1999-2000. It's uh, increased in the United States as a whole from 2005 to the present at a rate of about uh, 43%. Across that same time frame, it's increased about 6% within the veteran population. Uh, So it's clear that there is a problem, there is an issue to attend to both within uh, the nation as a whole and within uh, and with our veterans. It's really important within this then in light of that, that we're all pulling together across federal, state and local levels to in a unified way, 
create a suicide prevention plan that offers increased access to evidence-based mental health services and medical services, as well as community outreach uh, in connection opportunities. Are there some other ways that our listeners can get involved to help make a difference in the lives of our vets? You know, we, we're asked this question a lot, and I, I really appreciate it because one of the first things is, yes, yes. A lot of times people say, well, if I'm not a veteran, if I'm not a mental health professional, if, if, I, if I don't have all the background and I'm not an expert in this, is there anything I can do? Yes, is the very simple and truthful answer. Making a connection uh, it can be life saving and one of the most important things that can be done if you if you know a veteran reach out reach out and ask how they're doing reach out and find ways to connect within um, our options that are available to us today that's one of the first things uh, that we can do if you want to check out some resources from our now is the time campaign to start the con- uh, start the conversation consider going to maketheconnection.net and uh, it'll give an overview of things to watch for, tips, and uh, some uh, messages from veterans themselves. Dr. Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for your time. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. With all the different types of diets found in the media and on the market today, which type of diet is right for you? Hello. Dr. Kyle Appuccino, chiropractic physician and founder of Health on Main Wellness Center, located right here in Little Falls, New Jersey. Adkins, Mediterranean, South Beach, Slim Fast, Dash, Weight Watchers, Ketogenic, or Herbalife, to name just a few. This list seems seemingly endless, so where do you begin? Firstly, recognize why you're starting a diet. Is it to lose those unwanted pounds, to fit into a dress or pair of pants, or because your primary doctor has advised you that it's in your best interest to lose weight? Secondly, understand how much your health, or lack thereof, affects those around you. Your choice has a ripple effect across many lives, not just your own. Thirdly, decide which type of diet will be best for you, and remain consistent with it. A diet is not about giving up the things that you love. Rather, it's a path to get and stay healthy. The word diet itself has a Greek origin meaning a way of life. So make your diet fun and interesting. Be able to identify if you're losing water, protein, muscle, or fat. A scale can identify weight loss, but may not be able to show you exactly what you're losing. Each type of diet has its own unique nuances. So make a well-thought-out decision and be sure to do your research following the data, not just television commercials. For more helpful information on a diet that is right for you, please give me a call at 973-832-6722. Or you can find me online at healthonmain.info. I'm Dr. Kyle Apuccino chiropractic physician, health and nutrition coach, and founder of Health on Main Wellness Center, located right here in Little Falls, New Jersey. Do you have a parent or loved one who's a senior living alone and you're worried about their safety? Hi, I'm Dan Coleman, professional investigator and founder of Creative Solutions Investigative Services. With advances in medicine, our senior population continues to grow, and they wish to remain self-sufficient and independent for as long as possible. Unfortunately, there are people who prey upon this segment of the population and target them for crimes or fraud. What can you do to help keep your loved ones safe? The best way to protect our independent seniors living alone is to have a good plan in place. Make certain that any cash or checkbooks they have is out of the home or in a place they cannot easily access. Provide them with an easy-to-use cell phone that they keep with them at all times. If someone comes to their door, have them call you before they answer the door and keep you on the line as they open the door. Burglars and thieves are skilled at distracting and disorienting seniors who answer their door. Another safety feature to consider is installing security cameras inside common areas in their home that you can view over the Internet to monitor their well-being. If you need more information or assistance, you can reach me, Dan Coleman, through my website, csinvestigations.info. Many of us have so many responsibilities in life that we forget to take care of our personal needs. We're all less able to handle the stresses that come our way when we're already depleted by physical and emotional exhaustion. We're at our best when we're feeling good, both physically and mentally. 
Hi, this is Angela Vlakonchik, and I'm a stress management specialist from Bridge Management Consulting, offering teachable stress management skills. People who neglect their own needs and forget to nurture themselves are at risk for higher levels of unhappiness, low self-esteem, and feelings of resentment. As a group, caregivers are at a higher risk of getting burnt out and need to make a point of practicing self-care. Taking time out to care for yourself reminds you and others that your needs are important too. Remember to take a holistic look at your care, meaning body, mind, and soul. Regular exercise, going for walks in nature, taking a class in a subject that interests you, and getting in touch with your inner self all contribute to a greater sense of well-being. Remember, self-care and nurturing isn't an indulgence, it's a necessity. For more information on stress management coaching and seminars for work and personal development, visit bridgemanagementconsulting.com, 646-418-5650. your health. Today's guest, Marcel Pick, is passionate about transforming the way women experience healthcare through an integrative approach. Marcel is co-founder of the renowned Women to Women Healthcare Center and was one of the first to be certified as a functional medicine practitioner. She is author of several books, including The Core Balanced Diet, Is It Me or My Hormones, and Is It Me or My Adrenals. Welcome, Marcel. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're really happy to have you here because your work is based in functional medicine. And if you wouldn't mind, just give us a 101. What is functional medicine and why is this the way that you've chosen to practice medicine? Sure. So the way that medicine is now in the usual settings, what happens is you go in, you get a diagnosis, and then generally you get oftentimes medication for that problem. The problem with that is that it oftentimes doesn't get people better especially if you stop the medication. And what I'm interested in looking at is what is the cause of the cause? Everybody's a little bit different. For example, in menopause, the symptoms that you have might be the same, but the reason that you have them might be different. So functional medicine's taken on a whole life of its own because so many people are coming in with complaints that are not getting better. And when you really dig deep and you really start to understand, and we're using biochemistry, this is not new age medicine. Mm -hmm. We're starting to understand what do we need to do to intervene. And we can oftentimes intervene with nutrition and nutrients to have game-changing effects with regards to weight, hormones, digestive issues, adrenal issues, everything. Well, you just mentioned weight, and I want to begin there because as a middle-aged woman, as we age, my friends and I and, and so many women like me, it just seems like everything we used to do to maintain our weight no longer works. So what is it that's going on in a woman's body as we age that makes it difficult to keep the weight off? Well, that is a million-dollar question. (laughs) So what I've come to understand, and I really have spent my life looking at it for my own personal reasons as well as for those of my patients, is that everybody's a little bit different. There are some kind of general patterns that you see. One is that in perimenopause, estrogen comes down, progesterone oftentimes plummets, so there's a hormonal dysregulation. We oftentimes see that as estrogen goes down, estrogen is an anti-inflammatory, so as that happens, We see symptoms we never had before, for example, joint pain or joint discomfort. Um, We have more anxiety than we've ever had before. People don't normally have anxiety as a symptom. And then all of a sudden, they might have had a little bit, but in perimenopause, they're like, oh my gosh, it's terrible. They also become a little bit more um, insulin resistant, I call that. Insulin goes up before our blood sugars do. So that means those particular people really need to cut back on carbohydrates. Some other people need to do more of a Mediterranean diet. So the beauty of, of understanding this is, number one, I'm here to tell you, you absolutely don't have to gain five pounds every year and have the middle age spread. Number two, we just need to dig a little deeper for that individual person, and oftentimes it is related to adrenals, So let me explain why. Adrenals are incredibly important. We can't live without them. But for all of us, many of women in particular are multitasking. We have elderly parents, we have a job, we have children, we have friends, we have partners, we have relationships, and we're trying to manage it all really well. But at some point, the adrenals can't do it anymore. And what happens then is cholesterol normally makes our sex hormones. If we have too much stress, what happens is 
it goes to make cortisol at the expense of the hormones. And insulin's a very important hormone, it's more important than our, than our sex hormones, and that's affected by the food that we eat. So if we're doing a lot of processed foods, or a lot of carbohydrates, what happens then is we have high levels of cortisol, and that is more inflammation. It causes adrenals to really be problematic, which causes our hormones to be dysregulated. It affects our hunger, which has to do with ghrelin and leptin. And it has also to do with how much inflammation we have in our body. And if our hormones are in balance, we gain weight in our middle and our hips. And if our adrenals are in balance, that's where we gain weight as well. So with a functional medicine perspective, by treating the problem, that's when we start to notice that, oh, the weight starts to come off. There is no one size fits all. What kind of dietary approach works for you, Joan, might not work for me. So it's really starting to figure that out. And I do genetic testing uh, to figure out genetically what food plan actually works best for you as a person. Marcel, is exercise and cutting back on calories really the best way to lose weight? Or does the kind of food that we eat make the difference? The kind of food that we eat makes a difference. There have been enough studies now that we've looked at calories in, calories out, and, you know, many of the diet programs around the country are very much connected to that concept. We'll cut back on your calories, increase your exercise, and you're going to lose weight. Mm -hmm. That's true for someone that eats 4,000 calories a day. I mean, as they start to cut back, of course, they're going to lose weight. But trust me, there are so many women that are eating 1,200 calories a day and exercising an hour a day that are not losing weight. So it's really about what foods perhaps have they become sensitive to. Sometimes I've had just my patients stop gluten or dairy and they've lost 15 or 20 pounds. For some other people, it might be some foods that they're reacting to because the digestive system is inherently important in this whole equation. What's really interesting, and I don't know if you know this or not, but we're starting to see that for some people that have something called a fecal transplant, I know that sounds really horrible, but Mm -hmm. we use it for some children that have autism. We change the microbiome of the gut by using someone's healthy fecal material and implanting it into this person. And what we've seen is that people's weight has gone down dramatically. Well, all we did was change the microbiome. And remember that we're, we're, we're mostly bacteria, as terrible as that sounds. Marcel, for people that are reading your books or listening to this show, and they're, and they're learning about the different way to, to really take on healing of the issues that they have going on in their life, when they go to a quote-unquote traditional doctor and they bring this information into the doctor's office and he or she may not believe or buy what they're telling them and they quickly want to prescribe something. What can that patient do to take better control of his or her health? What can they say to the doctor? It's a great question. So many times what is frustrating for my patients is they've been to, let's kind of use a gastroenterologist as an example, and they've had the testing done, the colonoscopy was negative, Everything was negative, and they still complain of having digestive issues, in particular bloating. They feel full when they've only had a small amount to eat. They're constipated, or they have a lot of gas. And they're being told there's nothing wrong, or that they have irritable bowel syndrome, which is kind of an irritation of the bowel. And my response to that is, well, you don't say, I already knew I had an irritated bowel, but why? So the, the most powerful thing they can do is start to educate themselves and really learn about what some of the things that they can do. And what I urge people to do in a very loving way, not nastily, is when they are able to succeed and get their body really healed, is to write a lovely letter back saying you might want to consider kind of looking at this a little bit more deeply because science unfortunately is there, but medicine takes about 20 to 30 years, if not longer, to catch up. Now, Marcel, there is a place in our life for pharmaceuticals. They do save lives. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. But with that said, I think that there are certain conditions that we can heal on our own. And from the years of doing this type of work and working with patients, what are some of the things that you think we can do that can have an impact and perhaps get us off some of those medications? It's a great question, Joan, because what I can tell you is that If you start to understand the power of food, as silly as that sounds, it can make a dramatic difference. Simply cutting or stopping sugar and stopping gluten for many, many people, those two changes in and of themselves creates weight loss, 
happiness because we also know now more than we've ever known before that the digestive system affects how we feel and the happiness that we have because serotonin is produced in the digest in the gut. And by changing the food that you eat, it can impact every single organ system actually very quickly. Stopping processed foods, you know, being mindful of, you know, not using a microwave with plastic. If you're going to be using it, put a ceramic dish in the refrigerator. I mean, in the microwave, all of those things mount up to making a big difference. But if you said to me, Marcel, you can only do one thing with this person, what would it be? And it would be to change your diet. Decrease the processed foods, stop sugar, have more vegetables, more color on your plate. Have it look beautiful, like a work of art. That would be the name of the game that increases, you know, antioxidants in your food. And we can all do it. No matter where we shop, we can all do it because we have to eat every day. I'm speaking with Marcel Pick. If you would like to get more information about Marcel and her work, you can visit her website, marcelpick.com. Marcel, in our final moments, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Almost all problems that my patients have can be remedied. The symptoms can go away. We can really transform our lives at any stage of our life. And women do not have to be overweight. They don't have to be tired. They can sleep through the night. They can have energy. They don't have to have PMS. All of these hormonal issues can be rectified. But you need to work with someone that understands how to make those changes some of which include many lifestyle changes of your own, including how you think. As you said, you know, as we think, so goes our life. There's so much connection with that as well. Marcel, thank you so much for being here with us today. And I think it's time that we take back our health. Absolutely could not agree with you more. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative change your attitude, change your life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.